We've had an opportunity, these two symbols, the bread and the cup that we just shared in together, help us to understand more who Jesus is and what he has done, the significance of what he has done for us. As we go through our daily lives, sometimes we lose that. We, we get so caught up in everything that's going on that we, we lose the implications of what it means to be a child of God, what the price was that was paid for our salvation and how precious that is. And Jesus' reminder that this is my body given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. These are powerful symbols of our faith. Now, these elements are not magical it's not that uh, now, now that you've had this, that, that all of a sudden your life turns around and you have no problems and no issues. If so, the place would be packed with people coming around the table because that seems to be what we seek the most. We're always looking for something that we think will make our lives better. And sometimes the Lord himself doesn't seem to be enough. And so we begin to create idols. And quite frankly, even religious things can become idols for us. And today we see how the children of Israel, having been set free from captivity in Egypt after centuries, come to a point where having experienced everything they had experienced, having seen everything that they had seen, are ready to cash it in in order to worship a golden calf. We'll be looking in a moment in the book of Exodus, the 31st chapter, and as we prepare to have God's word, let us pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for your word. As we open it together today, we ask that you would speak to us. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that is willing to receive what you have for us today. And so, Lord, we come ready. Feed us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We will begin in the last verse of chapter 31 and then move over into chapter 32 together. Exodus chapter 31, beginning with verse 18. And what we read here is this. And he, that is the Lord, gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. If you'll remember, Moses has spent 40 days up in the presence of God on Mount Sinai. That mountain covered with smoke and fire. It was a pretty awesome sight to behold, I'm sure. And Moses up there with God, God has been speaking to him. We've looked at this and 
He's shared many, many things. And here we find now that God is giving him something to take back down to the people. These two tablets of stone. He's already given them verbally the Ten Commandments. God has already spoken that into their lives. And now he's going to give them something concrete. Well, not concrete, actually stone. Going to give them something that they can, can go back to just so that it doesn't get lost. It's, it's written down, and the cool thing is, it's written down, we're told, by the finger of God. Moses wasn't up there with a hammer and a chisel writing these things down as God dictated it to, the, to them. God himself has created these tablets, and it was God's finger that wrote on these tablets. We could say that Moses has had a genuine mountaintop experience. But meanwhile, back at the camp, what do we see? Let's look at chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, and they said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And so Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and and brought to them, brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Well, this is not going to end well. And I didn't have to tell you that. You probably knew it already, even if you don't know the rest of the story. Before Moses went up on the mountain, he left uh, two people who were kind of uh, in charge. He left Aaron. Aaron was his brother, and he was really the, the, the first one in the priesthood. And he left someone named Hur. Now, this may be the Hur that... If you'll remember um, holding up Moses' arms, Aaron was on side, one side, her on the other. This may be his brother-in-law, but whatever, these two men were left there in charge. And earlier we know that there were elders who were set up, and so there was some leadership there. There were some people who, who should have taken a stance and said, this, this is what the Lord said, this is what we're going to do, but... What we're seeing is anything but that. Somewhere along the way in this 40 days, this groundswell began. There was fear in the camp. And fear is, quite honestly, the opposite of faith. And people began to wonder, what's going to become of us? Now, before we move forward, I want you to think about some of the things that, that they had experienced. 
They had been in slavery, and God delivered them through these miracles that are referred to as plagues. God showed his mastery not only over nature, but also over all the false gods of Egypt and Pharaoh himself, and performed plague after plague after plague after plague until finally Pharaoh let the people go. This is only three months earlier. We, 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 you know, when we think about the time frame, what's the gap between that and, and what we read today? Three months. Not long. They had experienced the deliverance through the Red Sea. They had seen the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire provided by God to lead them. They had eaten the manna God miraculously gave them every day in the wilderness except on the Sabbath. They had, they had eaten the quail that just came and just landed in the camp and waited there and said, hey, eat me. They had meat from heaven. They had bread from heaven and, and even drank water as God used Moses to split a rock and cause the flow. They had had victory over now, these, these folks, listen, think, they just came out of slavery. None of them were really military men that we know of, and yet they had victory over the Amalekites. And now, here they were at Mount Sinai, and they had seen the top of the mountain become fire and smoke. And you would think, they haven't experienced all of that. There's no way that they would forsake the Lord. No way that they would compromise their faith. No way that they would turn their backs on, on this Moses who, whom God led, who God called to lead them out of Egypt. But when Moses called, when the Lord called Moses up the mountain, he went up and he went up into the smoke and the fire. And the people were to wait there until he returned but again fear crept in and we don't know exactly what happened but you can begin to think that, that it would start with just questions hey when do you think Moses is getting back did, did he say how long he was going to be gone uh what what's up with this I'm kind of getting tired we've just kind of been hanging around here for weeks now what 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 are we doing here hey what if he doesn't come back I mean, let's face it, uh, I don't know that I could last up there and that kind of stuff, and maybe God just burned him up or took him home or whatever, but you think he might be dead? And if he is dead, how long do we wait here? When do we leave? Who, who, who's going to lead us? Who's going to take command? Who's gonna, what are we going to do? I mean, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. What do we do now? What if, what if some of those Amalekites, they go and they get some friends of theirs, and, and while we're hanging around here in the mountain doing nothing, they come and they attack us? Here's the thing. When fear creeps in, all these kinds of questions you begin to think about, and then you begin to talk about until it creates a paranoia. And it, we do it too. 
This is what fear does. It causes us to question the goodness of God, the plan of God. And we're not told specifics, but what we are told, that there was a very vocal group of Israelites who confronted Aaron. And as a pastor, I've, I've had people come to my office door and knock and, 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 and come in and go, well, people are saying. And, and my first question is, what people? You know, but, but this stuff begins to build and there's pressure that comes on the leaders and they went up in the, the wording that is used here in that they, they came to Aaron indicates a confrontation, that they came in a very confrontational attitude. When it says they gathered themselves together to Aaron, insinuates that this is an angry mob, you know, with torches and pitchforks, and they're coming and going, okay, Moses left you in charge, what are we going to do? And they had a plan. And they said, get up. Stop doing nothing and make us gods who will go before us. This, when I read this, I'm like, what kind of disconnect here? What, what is it that would lead them to say at this point, hey, we got to have different gods because obviously the Lord isn't doing much right now. He's just hanging around up there with Moses and we don't, know, we don't know anything. They were tired of waiting. They were scared of, that they'd been deserted in the desert. And they demanded that Aaron, the priest, make them gods to lead them on to the promised land. They were still planning on going. They were just trying to find their own way to get there. And they say, we, we don't have any idea if this Moses guy, like they didn't even know him, this Moses guy, we don't know what's become of him. And perhaps Aaron was wondering the same thing. Because what we see him doing was absolutely incredible. Now the children of Israel have been in Egypt their whole lives. This is all they'd known. Their, their parents before them and their parents before them. And they were exposed to the Egyptian culture and to the Egyptian gods. Their time in Egypt had a dramatic impact on their understanding of what it was to worship. And in this time of anxiety and fear, they went back to Egypt. They wanted a god like the Egyptians had. One that they could see one they could better understand, and perhaps one they could manipulate. They didn't know what the Lord was doing, and so they decided, we're going to do it our way. Had they only had Solomon's words that would come down later in, in, in their history, and that is, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. But Solomon hadn't written it yet. Solomon hadn't been born yet. 
And still, we would assume that they would have made a better choice. So they go to Aaron. And we're not told that Aaron resisted very much. In fact, what the, what the word tells us here is seems that he gave in pretty quickly. The pressure came upon him and he, he may have felt like, you know, if I don't do something, they're going to do it themselves. Or if I don't do something, they're going to kill me. I don't know what was going through his mind. But there was enough pressure in order to cause him to cave and to do what they called him to do. And so he says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to collect all the gold earrings. Go get your wives, get your daughters, get your sons. Interesting, he didn't ask for theirs. So much easier to let somebody else make the sacrifice. Bring them all to me. And they did. They gathered it all up. And Aaron took those things and melted them down. And he fashioned a golden idol in the shape of a calf. Now this word uh, may mean bull. Because this, this word could be a bull up to three years old. And so that's a pretty good sized critter. Either way, a golden calf, a golden bull. Either way. The psalmist would write of this day. In Psalm 106, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of their God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Interestingly enough, even today, Jewish people look back at the Exodus look back at God's leading them as the pivotal moment of their faith. And there is so much in the New Testament that reflects back on what God did here. And the psalmist in Psalm 106 is looking back and going, okay, this is reminding the people this is what has happened in our history. Now let's get back to the passage. And this is where it really gets weird. They said, these, they said, which means they're talking about the people. They said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so the people are speaking, probably this, this leadership group that came to Aaron. Now, these are the ones that are speaking. This golden calf, this golden bull idol has been made. And they are saying to the people, listen. You remember we were delivered, right? You remember all those things that were done for us, right? All those miracles that we saw with our own eyes. Now, these are your gods. Now, it's interesting they're using the word these, and I don't want to go too much into it, but there were multiple gods in Egypt who were represented by a bull. And so, it, basically, you got multiple choice here. You can pick any of these gods. They're represented by this bull, but the, the thing that there's, they're, they're, this is what's most fascinating is that they're taking the worship of the Lord and the, the works of the Lord and they are attributing these to this idol. They're, what we're seeing here is what's called religious syncretism and there won't be a test on that afterwards, but it basically means they're taking these two strains of faith and they are blending them together and making something that is less than God and in fact is an abomination to God. 
They're combining what they knew in Egypt with what they're learning about the Lord. And they've created an idol. Something that they could worship, something that they could look to, something that was physical in their presence. And by the way, they had a hard time learning. God called them an obstinate people, a hard-headed people, and and we will see 500 years later, there is a king in the northern tribe of Israel named Jeroboam who in order to keep his people from going down to Jerusalem to worship, he sets up two golden calf idols, one in Dan and one in Bethel. We read in 1 Kings 12, So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, You've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of of Egypt the very same phrase used 500 years later the very same thing taking the worship of the Lord and blending it in with this false faith because the people wanted that more than they wanted the worship of the Lord now that's pretty bad but it gets worse look in verse 5 It says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and he said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. There are a few people in the Bible, if you could just show up and slap them, you'd be doing them a favor. And Aaron would be one. A man who should have known better. And yet he did not do better. He doubles down on the sins of the people by building an an altar in front of the idol. A place for people to make sacrifices. And he declares a feast to the Lord for the next day. Now, do you see how all this is blending together? How they're taking the worship of the true and only God and they are blending it in order to make it more palatable, more acceptable, more manageable for the people. Aaron compromised to the point that he says... That you can worship the Lord by worshiping this idol. That it's the same thing. That it's no different. Now, I'm just going to stop you here because remember they've had the first, they've had the Ten Commandments. So can can we review in our own minds, what is the first commandment? Okay, somebody speak, you got to speak a little louder. Just, you're mumbling. What's the first commandment? Worship the Lord only, okay? What's the second commandment? No idols? Did you say no idols? Worship the Lord only, no idols. What's the third commandment? 
Oh, now I got you. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And in one failed swoop, they have wiped out the first three. In, in one act, they have crushed those three under their feet. And offerings that should have been made to the Lord, the burnt offerings and the peace offerings that were required, they're now making to this idol whom they are equating with the Lord. And did you notice how eager the people were to do it? When he says, hey, we're going to have this feast day tomorrow, it says they got up early for this. They got up early to get started and they ate and they drank and the ESV translates it they rose up to play now this sounds like getting ready for tailgating on a football Sunday right they got up they eat they drank and they rose up to play but that's not the kind of play they're talking about because the wording here meant that it was more of a drunken orgy and this they're doing because this is what the worship of the false gods was and the bull idol or the calf idol was seen as a symbol of fertility and so they're going back to the old ways what they had seen and experienced what they knew of and they're bringing these things over and they are putting them on the Lord and saying this is the Lord and so this is what's happening now golden calves aren't typically our issue right if I were to go to your house the odds of me finding a, a calf idol a golden bull at your place are, are pretty slim. But that doesn't mean we have no idols. In fact, we're pretty good at making our idols. We can idolize money or power, reputation, sexual identity, our physical appearance, our perception on social media, entertainment, comfort, politics, family, our own sense of our personal goodness, our traditions, and even religion. Any of these things can be our idols. And the sad thing about it is we seem far too willing to bring the Lord along and plug him in. We sang about Jesus being Lord of all. But we must truly ask who is the Lord of our lives? Or what is the Lord of our lives? And we can't just drag Jesus along and make him fit. Folks, we're getting ready to go through a political season that will not be pleasant for any of us. And I want, I want to beg you right now. I know you, 
I've got my politics just like you've got your politics. But can I tell you that Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent. Jesus is Lord of all. And it is so easy to pull him down off his throne and make him fit with our traditions, make him fit with our religion, make him fit with our politics, make him into something he is not because it suits us better. We're more comfortable with that. And we'll rise early for it. And we'll give it all we've got in order to pursue it. But what the Lord calls us to to, is to forsake that and to devote ourselves to him and him alone. And so I want to ask you this morning as we come bring this message to a close, are you willing to go to the Lord now and ask him, God, is is there anything in my life right now that I'm making into an idol? Is there anything in my life that I'm, 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 I'm making superior to you in any way, above you in any way? Ask yourself this morning, has the culture that you live in, and, and we do live in a culture right now, is the culture that you live in, is it pressuring you to compromise just like the people pressured Aaron? Go to the Lord and ask him, is there anything, Lord, that I have done that has brought you and all your glory and is, am I mixing it with something else? Because when I do, it becomes an abomination. It becomes an idol. And if any of this is true today, then it's time to cast off your idols. As we walk through, as we walk through Exodus, as you perhaps move through your Bible readings, as we get to Joshua, and then later into the history books and the prophets, isn't it amazing how many times that God had to speak through someone to say, hey, Lay aside your idols. Put aside these things that that you have been worshiping in place of me. And you would think that having all of this, that knowing all of this, that this being your history that you would say, why, why keep an idol? But they're constantly having to lay them aside or be challenged to lay them aside. Why? Because our hearts are idol factories. We want something we can manage, something we can understand, and we're not always comfortable with a God who doesn't do things the way we would do them and who doesn't do them in our time. If you've compromised in any way, or if you're in the middle of compromise right now, then I want to let you know as we 
we come to the end of this service, we're going to sing a final song. And, and I would just invite you to come and to use this as an altar today and, and ask God if he would reveal anything, anything in your life that's become an idol, any way that you've compromised and brought him down and taken his name in vain as you've changed his character. And if there's some of you here today who maybe you let the trays pass you by today because you'd never made that commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then, then I invite you today to come and declare him. Come and declare your faith in him as Savior and Lord of your life and begin to follow him as Lord all the days of your life. This is your opportunity to respond to what the Lord has said. I invite you to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we conclude this service. We recognize that uh, this is just the beginning for us. Lord, as we open up those dark places in our lives, those hidden closets, the things that nobody sees but you, we ask, Father, that you would help us to remove the things that are getting in the way of declaring you Lord alone. Father, we pray that today we might lay aside any idols, any would-be competition to you and declare our allegiance, our commitment, our devotion solely to you, Lord. And it would be our prayer this morning that if there's anyone here who does not know you, who does not have a relationship with you, Lord, through faith in your son, Jesus, that by the power of your Holy Spirit today, you would draw that person to yourself that this might be their day of surrender and their declaration of faith that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.